good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and I am super excited to be here with you guys today. Um, I got, I've got a couple of housekeeping things to deal with you, first and foremost, before we dive into what we're going to talk about. That was pretty engaging, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? Okay. Uh, first and foremost, you need to know um, the gift-giving and shirt-giving game here at Vestal is on point. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a few weeks ago I received a wonderful shirt. Um, you, if you're new, you, you, you may not know, but I, I may have accidentally made a confession that I, I really do like Taylor Swift. Um, and so someone gave me a shirt that said, I heart Taylor, so thank you. <laughs> Second of all, uh, someone showed up at our house last night and gave me uh, another wonderful gift, and I wanted to share it with you all today. I'm going to go stand outside, so if anyone else asks, I'm outstanding. So, thank you. Thank you all for, uh, for loving us so well and welcoming us here. We're very, very appreciative of you guys. Second of all, something that is really important to me and really important to us here at Bridgewater is God changing lives. Plain and simple, right? That, that is what church is all about. That's what the gathering of, of people together, coming under God's word and, and being a community of light in our communities is really all about. And so next Sunday, we're doing something that if you're new here, you may have never heard of before. If you've been around Bridgewater for a while, you, you've heard of it, but we're doing our vision giving Sunday, and I'm super excited about this. There's a couple of things that have already been happening kind of behind the scenes that I want to share with you. First and foremost, you need to know what's already been given to this. We're, we're praying for, um, for half a million dollars to go to a couple of things, to go to a brand new location for the Tunkhannock campus, not just because we like buildings. No, that's not, that's not what this is about, but because they are busting at the seams, they're having three services right now. Praise God. Amen. Three services this morning <clears throat> uh, because they don't have the space to, to get everybody there. And so um, we're working towards a brand new building. I know there's been a lot of work going on for that. Many of you have heard about this already, but some of that money is going to go to that. Second of all, some of that money is going to go to helping us start a new campus. If you are not excited about that, you need to get on board with that train because it is going to be awesome. Some of you are sitting here, you're like, yes, Sayer, let's go. I, I don't know. Maybe, who knows where, we, I, I, I don't have any inside information, okay, of where we're going to go. But we do want to be able to expand into other communities and, and allow God to continue to do the work that he's been doing here, okay? And then also we're going to have some, some money for more interns, more young, young people that we can train in the ministry. So a couple of things that have been going on you need to know already. There have been 117 gifts uh, for Vision 2022. Over $110,000 has already come in. We haven't even had the Sunday yet. You guys are overachievers, okay? That's great. Um, we've also had an additional $100,000 already committed to it. But next Sunday is the day. My wife and I are praying about this, talking about it. We're deciding on what, what we believe God wants us to do. I just want to urge you, please do the same thing right alongside us. I would tell you this too. We don't, we don't announce this for any 
pat on the back, but all of our pastors, every single one of our staff members, we are doing this right alongside you. There's a reason for it. We believe that God is doing something special here. That's it. Not that we're special, but that he is. And that he is doing something special. So, um, if you haven't thought about it already, take the time to to think about it, okay? All right, let's dive right in real quick. Guys, can I turn this back on and will will we be good? We don't know. We're going to try. All right, here goes. We'll just give it a go. Nope, it's not going to work. So, we're going to turn it off. Okay, so... This week, we're starting a brand new series, as you can tell, called Money and Happiness. And um, anytime we think about talking about money, anytime I think about preaching on money, I kind of start to cringe a little bit inside, and maybe you start to cringe when you hear that we're going to talk about it. But here's the interesting thing about this particular series. We're actually going to talk about the intersection between money and happiness, okay? Where do those two things begin to come together? Do they come together? Do they jive? Where do they intersect? Now, traditionally, in the United States of America, we tend to believe something about money and happiness. We tend to believe, well, you could say it like this, mo money, you say mo problems, but <laughs> no. But we tend to think the more money you have, the more happy you're going to be. Now, some of you are shaking your head. Why? Because experience has told you something different, hasn't it? I mean, think, think about this with me for just a minute. Think about that time, the last time you were saving up or trying to acquire something. Maybe it was a new car, and you were so, so excited. Like, when I get this car, man, I'm going to be so excited. When I get this truck, when I get this four-wheeler, when I get this boat, when I get this vacation, whatever it may be, whenever I get there, I... I am so excited, and I'm pretty sure it's going to bring me happiness. Now, you might not say it like that, but we feel that, don't we? The funny thing is, you get a new car, you get a new boat, you get a new whatever it is, and then you you have children, and they put the first scratch in it, and what? Now, all of a sudden... You're overreacting. I mean, that's the reality. See, there's this promise, there's this idea that we think that these things are going to bring us happiness. We think they're going to actually bring us to this place where we have happiness. But it's a mirage. It's completely a mirage. What's a a mirage? A mirage, let me give you a definition of it. A mirage is something that promises one thing but delivers another. We, we tend to think of mirages when you see a movie about the desert, right? Somebody sees a mirage way out there and they, all they can think of is water and, and an oasis and they just want to get there and when they get there, what do they tend to find? More sand. Ah, that's my son, everybody. He's on point today. Yeah. They, they, they tend to think that it's going to deliver one thing, but it delivers another. And the reality is that with money and with things and when we start acquiring things and when we start wanting to acquire more things, that's actually what ends up happening. And here's here's the beautiful thing about what we're going to dive into today. We're going to dive into a portion of God's word that I think is so practical and so helpful. 
It's written by a guy who had more stuff than anybody could ever imagine, and yet he found himself incredibly empty. That's why I love God's Word. God's Word is so practical. It meets us right where we're at. It meets us with the struggles and the, and the things that are going on in our lives, and it gives us clarity and guidance, and it's not always popular. I'll tell you, what we're going to talk about today may not be popular, but it will bring us closer to a good interact, an intersection of money and happiness if we listen to God's word. The section of scripture that we're going to look at today was written by a man named Solomon, and I want to tell you a little bit about him, okay? We're going to be in, a, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you have your own Bible and you want to open up to there. And I would tell you, too, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch out in the foyer. Please grab one of those. We would love for you to have it. They're free. You can have it for yourself, okay? But to tell you a little bit about Solomon before we, we dive in and look at this mirage that he, he found, you need to know just what his personal life looked like. Solomon was a king of the nation of Israel. He was the son of David. He inherited a kingdom that was actually growing and doing well, but he took it well beyond anything that David ever did. He acquired more than anyone could ever imagine. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we find out just how much he was acquiring year after year. Look at what it says. It tells us in verses 14 and 15, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. Now, 666 talents doesn't really tell me much. I don't know about you because I, I, don't, I don't weigh things in talents. Do you? If you do, that's quite a talent. Uh, there, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I am, yeah. <laughs> Let me explain to you a, a, a talent in our day and age. A talent weighs roughly 75 U.S. pounds. So we're talking about 666. Six units of 75 pounds each year, but that didn't include everything that he was getting. It's equal to roughly 1,094 ounces. And so if we took, and I looked up the price of gold on Thursday, the price of gold was $1,634 per ounce. So we're going to round down, okay? At $1,600 per ounce, a talent of gold in today's value is $1,641,000. That's just one talent. How many was he getting? 666. So what does that mean? This means that the value of what he received every single year, not including everything that came into him, just in what came in in gold, okay? He received silver and all sorts of other things. The value of what came into him every single year was, let's see if we can figure this out together, 1,165,766,400 dollars every year. You know how long Solomon reigned as king? 40 years. So if we do the math, here's what it tells us. Just in gold alone, Solomon received in 46,630,656, no, 630,656,000 dollars. There's so many zeros I can't even figure it out. This is just in gold. Some people have estimated that Solomon, his net worth was over $2 trillion. 
He's occupying a space that Jeff Bezos could only dream of. You understand that? No one more than likely ever been richer than Solomon in all of human history. And here's the interesting thing. He ended up writing a book that if you just read it, it can feel very depressing. If you just read it quickly, it can feel very depressing, and here's why. Despite everything that Solomon had, he came to a place where he wasn't happy at all. Where he had everything, tried everything, could get anything that he ever wanted. You just want a four-wheeler. Cool. Guess what? He could have, I don't know, a million of them. He could have it all. And he wasn't happy. Why? Well, I'm thankful that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes because when he did, he explained the answer to the question of why, why he wasn't happy and why he was struggling so much. And I'm going to give it to you uh, at the beginning before we dive in and look at what he has to say. Here's what I think is the answer to why he wasn't happy, more will never make you happy. And the world tells you it will. More shoes, more clothes, more food, more of a house. I just need a little bit bigger house. I just, you know, I just need a tractor. I have that land, and now I need the tractor. I, 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 everybody else has a tractor. What's wrong with me having a tractor, you know? Right? And it's just little by little, even though we know in the back of our minds things won't make us happy and more won't make us happy, we little by little let it creep into our lives. And if we aren't careful, we'll end up in the very same place as Solomon was, where he had everything he could have ever imagined. In fact, I'll be honest with you, at this stage of my life, I have more than I ever could have imagined. I would guess that's probably true for many of you. And if we aren't careful, if we keep looking to more, it will ruin us. And here's the thing. Solomon endeavored to dig into this problem of seeing, you know, toil and the accumulation of wealth and why it didn't lead to happiness. And he teaches us two inter he teaches us two very interesting lessons on the intersection between money and happiness. And so I wanna I wanna walk you through them. They show up in two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. The first is in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Now, there's a lot of verses we could look at, but I'm going to narrow it down for our our time of study here today. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 4, look at what Solomon says. He says, and I saw that all toil, all work, all achievement, accumulating of things, all of it spring from one person's envy of another. Now, if I were to ask you when you first walked in here today, hey, are you an envious person? Are you a greedy person? I guarantee that every single one of us would have said, no, I'm not envious, I'm not greedy. But when you see somebody get that new thing, do you go, hmm, it'd be nice to have that. And if we trace that back, at its roots, it really finds it's anchored in greed. 
and envy. So let's not approach these verses as if they don't talk about us, because in reality, you drive by somebody's house, they're updating it, they're painting it, they're adding on, and I, I do it too, and I go, man, that'd be nice to be able to do, I wish I could. You see, your friend, your neighbor just got some new toy to be riding out in the back 40 or whatever, and you're going, huh, that'd be nice. The reality is, all of our toil and all of our achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then he goes on. He goes on in verse 5, and he says this, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Now, that sounds really weird in this conversation about accumulating more things. I'll explain it here in a minute. You look at verse 6, though, he says this, Better one hand with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Here's what he's doing. He's comparing and contrasting people who are just running after accumulating more and then on the very opposite spectrum, people who just sit down and don't do anything. He's saying both of them are errors. Both of them will lead to ruin. What's the lesson though? The lesson is found in verse 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In other words, Solomon is saying something big about the intersection between money and happiness. Here's what he's saying. Happiness actually comes from wanting less. We, we tend to think that it just comes from wanting more. And you may say, well, I don't, want, I don't want some big house. I'm not trying to be some millionaire or billionaire. I'm not trying to be like Solomon and have, you know, 46 or $2.1 trillion, I don't want any of that. No, I know. But at our core, if we're honest, we can always find just one more thing that we'd like to have, can't we? Listen, there's an entire television network predicated on this idea. You know, for I was growing up in, in, in the you know, well, I guess I was growing up in the 80s and in the 90s, and they started this television, like the, 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 what is it, the shopping network or something like that, you know? It's on TV, and now we have these websites. Amazon will get everything to your door sometimes faster than you can go to the store and buy it. Can you believe that? Why does it exist? It exists because we tend to believe that just a little more will make you happy. And what Solomon is saying is, he's saying it's better, it's better to embrace contentment. It's better for you. It's better for your, not only your physical health and your spiritual health, but it's better for you all around to embrace contentment. One of our pastors shared a story with me um, I can't remember if this was his story or where he got it, but he shared he had to fill out this whole application and in applying for life insurance. And one of the questions that they asked you with, with the life insurance application was if you make, if you make over $50,000 a year. And here's why. Because the life insurance companies found that people who made over $50,000 a year when he was applying, they had a life expectancy that was two years shorter 
than everybody else because they just had more money and wanted more with it. It takes a physical toll on you. But the beauty of what God teaches us is that happiness is actually found in wanting less. I know it's counterintuitive. I know it's not popular. I know it's not easy. I struggle with it day in and day out right there with you. But the scripture makes it clear. He goes on in in Ecclesiastes 4 and he tells us some more. He says this, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. I saw something that, that at the end of the day, if I keep going down this, it's gonna lead to emptiness. Gonna lead to depression and darkness. Here's what he saw. He said, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So there's a man who's gaining and gaining and gaining and building up and building up. And this sounds a little bit like if you're familiar with the book of James in the New Testament, a man who went to, you know, he had a great harvest and he builds great barns and he thinks to himself, cool, I've got more and I can just sit back and do whatever I want and then there'll be more and more and more. This sounds like that. Then he goes, for who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Boy, if ever there were a country that this is true of, it's ours. And it, it's true in the church too. But God tells us he warns us. He's, he's reaching out to us and saying, hey, I love you. I care for you. I don't want you to, to toil and, and end up depressed and, and feeling like you are empty and have nothing. I'm telling you, happiness is found in wanting less and being content. But here's the beauty of it. When we want less, When we choose to embrace contentment, wanting less has another, you know, side effect. Wanting less leads to less debt. That's great. You say, well, debt's not a problem. No, debt debt is a problem. (laughs) Debt's a problem in this country, right? Did you know that 37% of American households have automobile debt, right? with an average balance of $31,142 per household. I looked, do you know what you can get a, a, a car loan for right now, even with good credit? It's about 8.5%. That means every year, every $100 that you are borrowing, you're paying one hundred and eight fifty dollars every year, right? What about consumer mortgage debt? I mean... of American households have a credit card balance with an average balance of $14,241 at an average rate of 17.13%. You do the math. It's not good. This is is why we do things like Financial Peace University around here. This is why we urge people to get into it. We just finished, this is is for free. Here you go, you can have this. We just finished uh, Financial Peace University here with a group. Um, We had an online group and we had, I I think we had, what did we have, Dave? Eight people in our group. We had eight, uh, four couples in our group. And the number of credit cards that were cut up, the amount of debt that was paid off, the amount of savings 
audience that was there, like, I just wanted to stand up and cheer. I can't remember the full numbers of what we had just in one class with four couples, but it was unbelievable. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I don't know who that was, but that was good. Um, Why? Because they embraced the idea that wanting less will actually be good for you. That's the beauty of it. Now, I came across this quote that I just want to share with you, written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. He's written several books. I have a number of copies of one of his books, and I will give it to anybody who wants it. The book is called The Treasure Principle. And he he wrote another book called Money, Wealth, and Possessions, or Money, Wealth, Possessions, and Eternity. That's a great book, but it's much larger. You probably don't want to read that one. But in that book, he said this, materialism or, or the desire just to want more or find our status in having things. Materialism is not simply wrong. It's stupid. Seeking fulfillment in money, land, houses, cars, clothes, like campers, hot tubs, world travel and cruises. I wish there's a few of them that I wish we could leave out, you know, like world travel or land or, you know, I, maybe your list is different. But those are the ones that appeal appeal to me. Seeking fulfillment in those things has left us bound and gagged by materialism. And like drug addicts, we pathetically think our only hope lies in getting more of the same. He goes on, meanwhile, and here's the most important part. Meanwhile, the voice of God, unheard amid the clamor of our possessions, is telling us that even if materialism did bring happiness in this life, which it clearly does not, it would leave us woefully unprepared for the next life. Woo. I think I can just stop now. He's got it. The reality is that happiness is found in wanting less. Solomon goes on. And he teaches us the second lesson, and here's what it is. Happiness is actually found in keeping less as well. Happiness comes from keeping less. Look at the Look at the text. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you have your Bible open, you can go over to the next chapter. He says this in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Right? Let's just read that again. Whoever loves money never has enough. This is an interesting prescription, I think. If you find yourself never having enough, the reality is more money can produce some good things for you. I get it. But maybe we should work it backwards and go, if I never have enough, maybe the problem is not how much I have. It's what I love. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Let those words sink in. And then he wraps it up by saying this, this too is meaningless. Over the decades and centuries of the history of the United States, there have been some very wealthy people 
Two of them that I read about recently had some interesting statements to say about having money. A man named William Vanderbilt, ever heard of him? The Vanderbilt Empire. He said this, The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. And the trouble is we sit here and we we go, well, I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) Because I'm not sure we really believe what God's word says. Henry Ford, you might have heard of him. He said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job than when he was running a Fortune 500 company. Solomon said it so long ago. In chapter 5 and verse 11, he says this, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefits are, those, are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? What You have it, and all it does is it sits there. And then more people who now want a piece of it. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat a little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. You want to talk about the problem of stress and worry and anxiety? More money produces more of that. The call for us is to realize that real happiness is found in keeping less. Chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 say this, I've seen a grievous evil, seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Now, I, I want you to go back. Let's go back to that verse 13 for a minute. This is so interesting. We would say wealth lost through some misfortune. Oh, man, that's terrible. Do you know what the author is saying? Just as terrible as wealth lost through some misfortune is wealth hoarded. Do you see that? They're both terrible. He's telling us that happiness is found in wanting less and keeping less. So what do we do? Well, I think that the call for us from Solomon's life, a man who had more money than anybody else and who tested it all out, he tried everything. You can go to Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11 and see how he says, I gave myself to everything. I tried it all. I poured all the money out. I I thought maybe it would bring me happiness, and he found it didn't. He found more money never brought me more happiness. The only thing that brought him happiness was to fear God and obey him, to be content. The answer is found in contentment. And I think for most of us, I realize there's, there's different social economic, you know, positions in this room. And I understand there's all kinds of different backgrounds and different things that you've grown up with and whatnot. But the reality is for most of us in this room, if you want more contentment, then you're going to have to go on a stuffed diet. So am I. Do you know, this is so interesting to me. Do you know that the average American today spends six hours a week The average American adult today spends six hours a week shopping and 40 minutes a week playing with their children. 
That's disturbing. Maybe it's time for a stuffed diet. Maybe it's time that we go back to Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6 and we take this for us. We go, better one handful with tranquility, with peace. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after wind, the wind because you got to have more and you got to have more to pay for it and you got to be able to take care of it. I mean, think about it. You know what the only good boat is? The boat that somebody else owns. You know the only good day you have a boat? It's the day you sell it. I, I'm joking, somewhat. But the more you have, the more you've got to have to pay for it. So what if, what if we decided to go on a stuffed diet? What if we decided to say, you know what? I need to empty my hand. What if we embraced, and what if we just sitting here today, you know, whether you're taking notes or you put something on your phone or you take out that card in front of you, what if you could write down an answer to this next question or this next statement, okay? Right now, I need to empty my hand from the pursuit of blank. Because I would guess your pursuit is maybe different than mine. And mine is different than the person sitting behind you. What if, what if we would sit here today and go, okay, I think God's got it right. Happiness comes from wanting less and keeping less. So, I've got two handfuls right now. And I need to release one from the pursuit of whatever it might be, so that I can be content with what I have and have peace. Because believe it or not, God does want us to find the intersection between money and happiness. A lot of it has to do with trusting him. Will you fill this out? Father God, I thank you that you give us wisdom and you don't leave us to our own devices. Because on my own, I, I would want to just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and I would find my identity and things and what I could get and I know that it would leave me empty just like it left Solomon. God, I want to I want to figure out taking that step of opening up my hand and releasing the pursuit of more and more and more. And I, I want to embrace contentment. I want to purge things out of my life that would actually distract me. Not only from your mission, but just from you. Because they tend to be God replacements. And they're really bad gods. Thank you, Father. Please help us to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.